uh, Charles, uh, it's an interesting take, but uh, you're doing a REM on me. You know, REM used to collage me uh, in three events squeezed together. So he would say, I saw Zaha in Paris stranded on a, in Champs-Élysées wearing plastic shoes, a cape and pink feathers. And he had seen me wearing pink feathers, white cape and plastic shoes in three different moments, but they were all together. It was always about my clothes for some amazing reason. Of course, I have a reputation of being um, nasty, but I'm not. I'm actually too nice, and that, that is my, my problem. Uh, this is not about nice work. It's, I've never played a victim. Uh, it's a decision I made when I was a student that encouraged by my then tutors, uh, Ely and Ram, to pursue uh, certain things, and I, I really did not think it was going to be an easy ride. And interesting, I had, uh, this is the, the work in the, at the Guggenheim, which was up for another three weeks or two weeks, which starts with the early project, which is like the peak and, and the high gallery. So we start with, the, kind of, we start with, the, with the, uh, uh, some of the early drawings, uh, and, and, and it's a kind of chronological, mostly uh, until we end with the most recent work. Uh, and then in the, lo the last spiral, uh, we have all the objects. So they are kind of really also areas which are compressed and stretched through, through the space. We could not obviously show all the work. I always thought we'd occupy maybe two ramps, but actually it, there's more work uh, than the ramps. We are missing a lot of the line drawings, which always complemented all the paintings. I mean. One of the gallerists called me up after the article in The Guardian yesterday. They said, oh, great, you know, you go around saying, this is not art. Of course, from, it was never done as art. And it might have become art now because it's shown in a major museum. And I do have to thank two people, uh, apart from my tutors, Ely and Rem, uh, which is Alvin Boyarsky, who really always gave me these shows at AA many years ago, and Peter Rice, the engineer, who helped me a great deal, uh, not just me, but to the office. And, and also, I think I really do think a lot is owed to these people. And they were tremendous supporters. They were very supportive of women architects. And it's a, that was very encouraging and also very interesting. So the idea of the, uh, the surface of the world op operating as a kind of a, almost a catalog of all the product which was shown at the A in 83 after I won the peak competition. Uh, the slab which shows the story, the story of the Hong Kong project uh, how the kind of new, the, the, the Kowloon, then the next layer of uh, territory is water, then the infill land, then uh, kind of the uh, the ground or the ma or the kind of landscape, and then the peak. The idea of the kind of backdrop of the landscape with the slabs kind of cutting cutting across the field, uh, and I think what is interesting about these drawings to return to them many years later was that. The actual research which was done on ideas of landscape and topography, which was maybe 15 years later, was in a way started with this project. And ideas of layering and kind of program, uh, the idea of kind of layers of adjacencies uh, compressed together. So I think one of the main research, let's say, was, if I would look at is on, on the idea of the ground. And it started with, with the peak, but also with the grand building project, which was a project on Trafalgar Square or the idea of multiplying ground, also the idea of penetrating what would have been a kind of a perimeter block by a kind of a different composition where uh, it's kind of random composition where it allows you also to operate on the building in, as a civic space and different layers. So we started with this project. So the idea of both the skyline, we're returning again now to the idea of a skyline as a kind of a, a, a cluster of towers again. So the idea of the multiple ground the landscape of the ground starts with that. Uh, Tommy Gaia, which is the idea of the peeled ground, or the ground peels to allow for space below. And also, in terms of diagram, it's very similar to uh, Wolfsburg, which is three spaces, one below ground, one on the ground, which becomes an extension of city, and the one, the pavilion above. And another product, which is, um, I began to understand the idea of, uh, this is a triangulation of structure, but the idea was to, the original idea was to transfer structure from a normal kind of column and changing it on the ground. The idea also the ground, or the ground morphology becomes a stadium, this is for Abu Dhabi. This is also to, almost 20 years old. And then I think that really the, the idea of the, and I forgot Brian was here, uh, as one of those who worked on this project and also the Cardiff Bay, who actually must be suffered more than I did because he really believed in the British 
sense of justice, and I'm, I've never told him this, but um, I think that idea uh, collapsed with Cardiff uh, because he and I were beaten up every day uh, by some people in, in Wales, but literally every day. And they called me names, but they referred to him in, in also a strange, strange way. And he remained polite. Well, I was told every day by Paul Finch, Zaha, keep your cool, don't be upset. You know, it will work out, but it never did. But it, it taught me some things. So the, to go back to the idea of the, this is a, the office building for, uh, and by the way, I think that um, Frank Gehry has obviously some sort of reality problem. Uh, he, he never gave me that project. He actually told me I should not do it because the guy is a creep. And, and then a year later, uh, started crying to What well, was really amazing, Frank is still a friend, and I know you're biased, Charles. Uh, you could never accept that the guy could do something wrong, but he did. And the worst thing about it is that when he took it, before I knew about it, he began to call everybody who I might have complained to in advance. So to tell them, oh, Nazaha's going to be upset with me because I'm taking this project away from her. And people said, well, don't take it. <laughs> that was not an option. And he said, if I don't take it, Norman Foster will take it. <laughs> I mean, and these are his exact words on the phone. I have never told Norman Foster this, but I don't think Norman would take it, but one never knows. Anyway, I don't have the product which Frank did, but it's not terrific. And I don't know what happened to the agency. And it was an agency, but the idea was to kind of really create this kind of broken slab. And the, the existing site was a, was a warehouse. And the idea that once you remove the slab, the, the, this warehouse, that the access to the water should be very transparent. The idea was not to kind of bury all the program below ground, uh, because it's very expensive to dig next to the water. And this idea of a, an inflated ground or impregnated ground began to emerge as an option for a very large, large kind of project, for a very large mass. And we did it again for the project in, um, in Cologne, which is the idea of the kind of land mass. And so the idea to move away from the idea of the, the generic uh, typology, which was a, a podium and a slab to a different uh, configuration. And we went back to this idea of the, the ground being a landscape or the bubble in Cardiff. So Cardiff was really a broken kind of uh, edge with all the interior occupied by the spaces of uh, performance. Uh, so many studies of, again, to go back to kind of really also simultaneously looking at kind of formal invention, but also looking at a way that these two concepts of the, let's say, topography and landscape, how it will be translated to the Islamic Museum in Qatar. Um, and the idea was one with multiple of fields uh, kind of converging together, and then one field becoming like an interior citadel uh, with spaces starting very large. Uh, we do this kind of gradation of color in all the paintings, which was called the whoosh. And this is kind of a spatial whoosh uh, to start very small rooms, which are offices, very large rooms, which are all the galleries. So kind of really the idea of what began to emerge is they kind of move away from the idea of the object and the emergence of the idea of the field uh, as a kind of also a civic program. Uh, the idea of kind of fluid space within a civic domain. Uh, the two fields, um, Stefan, I'm sure I forgot also, um, is now working on a Mont very nice project in Montpellier. Uh, this is the, the two fields, uh, the, the car park and the roof of the um, uh, station. Uh, two materials and two colors, black and white and tarmac and concrete. So the roof is just a folded roof with a, uh, for ease for transportation. Uh, with a very quiet tram, which is where you kind of park and ride into the city. Next, please. This is a kind of show of the, the field as a kind of an environment uh, within the show at the MAC in Vienna. And also, we have been working with ideas of lines and how these lines converge and separate and bifurcate forming space. Uh, with the Valam Rhein project, which is the, uh, the F3, which is a kind of an exhibition for uh, a garden show. 
and it was a sister tributary, so Vitra was in one side of Vile, and this one is on the other side of Vile. And there's lies kind of really uh, intersecting and bifurcating and uh, everything began to the, the diagram for the Rome project, how the kind of the field uh, was not again longer an object, the idea that you kind of really um, liberate the site uh, from uh, its kind of perimeter uh, and make the field kind of interpreted in a variety of layers. Uh, so uh, the major streams are all the galleries and the minor streams are all the bridges and the uh, roofs which connect them. So it's kind of multiplicity of fields overlaid over each other continuously. Uh, and obviously there's kind of gaps in between them which becomes all the kind of circulation areas. The ribs which became the idea of striation which came from a previous, uh, Patrick, can you stop, please, Patrick? The idea of the, of the, all the kind of the striation becoming also not only the walls which uh, uh, began to move aside, but also all the uh, kind of luring uh, on the roof which becomes a way of kind of, because it's a naturally lit space, uh, because it's a field, a horizontal field. We did a kind of an exhibition there in one of the existing galleries uh, a few years ago. So the idea that you can follow one of these kind of ribbons or lines as one exhibition, or you can make them in a cluster. So the idea was can gives the curatorially much more freedom in the way you kind of really occupy the spaces for exhibitions. I, when I was in Rome, they, of course, the, these walls are very long, I mean, 200 meters long, and they were standing with one end and the other one was standing at the other end. And, you know, I always thought they were never, anyway, I was there for a, kind of a meeting with all the ministers there, and um, of course they always asked me, they did connect. Um, this is uh, the, the walls on site. Uh, the, 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 the ridge you see on the top is where the roof will be placed. It's not some sort of kind of promo uh, motif, but it's actually where the, these things are. And you can see uh, these lines, and then you see also one of the galleries is kind of a uh, terraced. You see the terracing of the, the galleries, the louvers, and the idea that you can actually rig the exhibits and also rig the walls so you suspend them from these spaces. So uh, interestingly, Rome, uh, the Rome project, which we won um, in 1999, uh, and it went on site, unfortunately, on the day they invaded Iraq. Uh, so they decided not to have a ceremony there. The same month, BMW went on site. The Chinese don't mind me saying the story that the two projects went on site at the same month. Rome just emerged from the ground. Okay, it had much more complicated groundwork, and BMW was, was almost completed. Um, and, but anyway, in terms of scale, they are very similar. So there was uh, three production facilities, one which is uh, uh, body-wide, the other one is a paint shop and assembly. And this idea of the central building, and it fits between all these spaces, that everything with the production facility moves through that one building, including the cars. And therefore, the idea of this project was to do almost like a bridge connecting all these projects together, these spaces, and, and, and it's basically two arms. Uh, it's fundamentally a way of filtering everybody through the building, but also it's a, the idea was to kind of really make the combining production with, uh, with management and design. So white-color workers and blue-color workers, and, and also to create a very large open uh, workspace. So the idea of kind of really transparency through the building, allowing kind of light uh, to, to always filter through. Uh, but the most interesting part is that, you know, to have a very large open space for workspace, uh, but it's actually divided because of the terracing. And above you are all the uh, kind of conveyor belts for all the cars uh, moving through. So this, this idea, which also connects me back to kind of ideas of the peak in Hong Kong, where the idea of adjacency and also layers with the cars moving through a, a central void uh, connecting all these spaces together. The main, the main structural pieces were the conveyor belts, so they have some of these roofs, which are also staircases and ramps. The blue light comes from the, under, the inside of the conveyor belts. And then kind of infrastructural buildings like the uh, station in, um, in Naples, where the station is a bridge connecting the two sides of the railway, and the idea that you then filter through the railway through these kind of fingers, which takes you to the, uh, all the uh, platforms. Another bridge for the, an expo in Zaragoza in Spain. So it's uh, an exhibition space uh, during the expo and then eventually we use as a kind of public space. 
with all the kind of installation about water and ecology. One of the early really uh, texts on the idea of topography and landscape came with the bridge in Abu Dhabi, uh, which is like a kind of continuous uh, line or a surface. The underside is in concrete, the outside is in steel. The uh, pavilion for the museum in Denmark, which is connection between, again, the idea of a linear space and wrapped to make a kind of an, almost a kind of pavilion extension between the park and the existing building. And was one of the kind of one was to create, create a extension to the museum and the other was to kind of really make this possibility between the connection between an existing building and the exterior. And also the use of materials in black concrete. One side was industry and the other side was the city. And the idea was not to separate these two uh, worlds with another building which blocks them. So the idea was kind of really elevate the building above, above ground. So the main operation of the museum is, is floating above ground. And, and all the cars which become inhabited structure uh, becomes land on the ground where there's a secondary kind of landscape. So it's not flat. These chimneys are not belonging to the building, but to the chimney of Volkswagen on the other side of the rail. This is how you connect. You come from the Autostadt of Volkswagen uh, through a bridge and you come down and you cross on this ramp. And the other connection on the plan is it's the, the station and all the city filters through the underground, the, the ground of the building. And so there's kind of different layers of kind of really urbanity, uh, one which is a small scale, urban scale, which are the cones, and then the whole field uh, which floats above, which becomes the interior kind of urban space of the galleries. The structure uh, done by Hanif Kara, that all the cones are, everything is in concrete except for the roof, which is steel. The structure is also above on the edge. It's a waffle slab, and the idea that the waffle slab then becomes kind of really creeps on the edge of the building to become the elevation. So the waffle slab is behind the cone, and each cone is either entrances or um, the theaters, the restaurants, shops. So you have a kind of really a public uh, domain feel and also an event space where you can have events within the outdoor uh, room. Just views of some of these uh, moments on the underside of the building, and then as you move upstairs, it becomes much more, let's say, smooth and shiny as opposed to kind of this like toughness and exposed concrete on the uh, outside. Kiosk and all these different uh, options uh, on the ground. And this is what was really a, a very exciting project for me because that whole team worked when we all worked together in one room in front of me and I kind of watched these evolution of the cones constantly. So this is the, the interior before it was installed uh, as a kind of science museum. And within the space there are two. One, there is a dip, like a kind of like a volcanic space, and then one there's a kind of another one which is mezzanine. And this also shows on the elevation on the side of the railway, all the kind of circulation. And then some of the installations and the steel roof. The steel roof is obviously also, because of the asymmetry, it has kind of complex geometry where it fans across and again, it, it lands. I mean, the structure, some of the cones are double cones, which supports the slab. There's a project for Basel for also concert hall, where a similar idea to where, where the landscape holds the structural cage. And within the cage is the concert hall, and it wraps around an existing building a new library for university in Seville. It's a kind of a very long beam, uh, which has also public spaces uh, on the ground. The, uh, the Maggie Center and uh, Five, and it really, again, the connection between space and uh, on the side of the hospital, there were a series of like uh, halls, and this was on the, on the edge of one of these like carved out spaces, almost like a cone. And in this particular case, it's, a, it's kind of shrubbed and green. So the idea that you put a, a, a very small building on the edge of this uh, space. So it's like a, a folded space, and the in, 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 interior is about, you know, people literally <laughs> being there to uh, connect, kind of really an interface between being in a hospital and going home and getting advice and seeing people they may know or may not know and having a cup of coffee. And I first visited there, one of their uh, spaces in Edinburgh, and I really, really understood that need for this kind of uh, place for well-being. And I, I think if architects can do anything, it should be able to do that in a very kind of modest and a simple way. Cedar Park in, in, uh, in, this is in Taiwan, where I would just study about 
the idea of a, a, a very large complex, uh, which was the Guggenheim Museum, an opera, and the space of the, for the government and the tower for the state as well. And what was developed was kind of these things which are stretched. The sides were on the approximate, but nothing really connected them. So the idea of these tails becoming part of the program in a way of connecting these programs together, which are not necessarily uh, related. And so suddenly you have a kind of really an ensemble of, of a space of politics, opera, and, 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 and museum where maybe they could be uh, kind of really connected in terms of program. Next. So the first project was the Guggenheim in Taichung with a tail which stretches out. And the idea that this has a, a mobility where some of the pieces walk around uh, the side or move around, the tail which connects you to the other side. Some of the plans which, which with the bridges, which also makes it possible to have two very large arms with platform moving up, but also it allows you to have very big shows you work on paper or very large exhibitions, and also they could be connected through the bridges as one exhibit. So these are show the, the roof structure and also all the bridges. Uh, the theater, and this is the kind of space, which is like kind of a large public space in between these two arms. And then the next competition was for the uh, opera house, which we uh, did not get. But uh, the idea that they are basically based on the same program, also two halls with a tail. The other one, one was metal, white metal, and the other one would be black. So all the kind of real idea of connecting to the idea of the landscape and stretching out to meet eventually uh, other programs which are on the side. And now also the lessons we had learned through doing the hotel, working with LG Hymax and Corian, and also the whole connection between uh, three-dimensional modeling and also technology to make it possible in a kind of seamless way through material like at the hotel in Madrid, which was a vacuum formed like Corian or uh, Algae Hymax. The landscape, which is, uh, is a project for uh, Durango Station, which is also uh, going ahead. And then uh, a recent competition for the Opera House uh, in Dubai. It's an island. Uh, so a study on the idea, obviously, of the dunes done in kind of a white material. And everything is kind of really almost camouflaged uh, within this, this field of hotels, libraries, all the opera facilities, and the landscape. I don't have a sketch here, but many models when we're doing the Islamic Museum in, in Qatar, and also later when we did study for the mosque in Strasbourg, where the idea of dealing with kind of con contemporary discourse like a landscape and geometry to look at the idea for these uh, products in the Middle East or place like uh, Strasbourg. This was a, a study for the a Singapore project which was done for the Guggenheim as a vertical museum. Then uh, different studies for various competitions on how to deal with this idea of the ground and the tower and how in this case two slabs almost can warp. The interesting thing about the program here that in almost two thirds of the building is a public program, so it's all, all the shopping, uh, all the other facilities, cinemas, everything occurs within the, the idea we call the skirt. Daniel Liebeskin and Izasaki. The idea of the swarm as a kind of planning device for many towers in Beijing. Again, each slab or each tower has a kind of an attachment to it, uh, which, which becomes also, well, it could be reversed. It, it could live on the ground and have commerce above. And the idea that this kind of swarm builds up to the middle with a kind of interesting section. These are different studies about how the towers could be really studies kind of in terms of the elevations, whether it's many kind of vertical layers or horizontal ones. The study for the Olympics in New York where the idea that these towers would land almost like pencils uh, on the ground and that you have multiple ground uh, where the ground is then left alone but you build another kind of like a cushion over it, where these things uh, land, and they become all the facilities for post-Olympic, just of schools and facilities for shopping for the neighborhood, which also the way the towers are placed becomes also very transparent, opposite, it is opposite the United Nations. In a product we were doing in Marseille, where the um, motorway forks, and this building uh, erupts between these two spaces, almost like a kind of a, 
a wave. Also peels on the two sides to allow for the ground to kind of get enlarged as a public uh, part of the building. The geometry of all the uh, kind of curtain walling. A slab that towers for a building in, in, uh, in Moscow. So there's like a, a series of towers which are connected with very transparent lobbies, which allows you in terms of within the slab itself to kind of have uh, an elevator for three, four apartments. There's a new project which is interesting in the end of the diagonal in Barcelona, which is like a spiral, but it's actually not, uh, it's kind of cantilevered floors, which is shared between the university uh, building and also offices. So this is a, a university city kind of initiative where you can combine program within the same uh, space. Uh, some of these kind of early paintings about the idea of the field as a kind of, this is a project for planning in, in, uh, in Madrid. And some of these ideas of, of kind of the idea of landscape and, and fluid uh, morphology begins to emerge as a way of connecting a kind of a linear corridor. The landscape and topography project in Singapore, very large master plan where it's, this, the idea of topography is sliced up to kind of make clusters of uh, like a campuses, mini campuses, where the idea that you move away from the diagram of in Singapore of again a podium and a tower. Uh, we did all the kind of uh, master planning and even the kind of the recommendation for the interpretation of each of these envelopes. The master plan for Bilbao, again the idea of to use geometry where it kind of fans across the side. Uh, there's also an interesting initiative by also the government the local government and the local owners for this industrial site. The latest kind of master plan is for a project in Istanbul, uh, in an area called Cartel and Pendek, where they are on the, on the Asian side, and facing the Princess Islands, and the idea was to kind of form a, a net, which uh, begin to be interpreted according to the demands of these sites, and a lateral connection between the two neighborhoods, because they are now blocked with a, with a, with a street as a spine, so the idea was to kind of really make a net which connects everything together, but also these lateral connections uh, for streets uh, all the way through from one area to the next. So, and the idea of the scale, that the scale adjacent to the existing neighborhoods is, it becomes you know, more like the scale existing, and then a study of all the different fields, because are there different owners, all the different fields, and the idea of how the net is interpreted in each case in a different kind of way. Uh, so you can either have this very large kind of uh, like tile uh, of a block or the net could be interpreted as if it's in the, within the uh, idea of the uh, intersection of the street. So you can either have very large green areas with the, with the building occupying the streetscape or so the idea that also the scale could be from very small scale like a single house to very large buildings which stretch across, across the side. So there are the very different kind of interpretation of the field. So the net could be interpreted as a triangulated areas or a perimeter block with a garden inside, or you can occupy these uh, street patterns. If you want a kind of middle rise, you can also put it up, or a high rise, you can put it further up, where the building becomes also part of the cluster. And then uh, they kind of a point grid, and also uh, the possibility of beginning to connect these perimeter blocks together, almost forming like a calligraphy uh, on the ground with, with the perimeter block no longer kind of fortification, but actually it's open or stretching it across a whole field with very small slab or small buildings. And then how these two edges with the field, these two sides of the existing uh, structure with the field in between uh, stretching and distorting to form this kind of many variety of uh, typologies. Uh, the halls are where there's an existing very large quarry, and the idea that also becomes a, another space for uh, kind of local cafes and street events. And you can see that the grid also, therefore, you can have a kind of entity to the site, even if the, not the entire, let's say, grid or the entire uh, net is built. And again, on the, the idea of it was to kind of begin to look at the infrastructure and the, how the site stretches to the water, which is opposite these islands, and therefore it becomes an extension of kind of summer life or area for uh, you know, visitors. The idea was to kind of really build another center in Istanbul, which becomes a metropolis, to release the pressure uh, 
from the city, and, and also it's very close to the Formula One, which only takes part in a few days, it's not far from that, and there's a new airport, which is also adjacent. So the idea that you can actually, for tourism or for conferencing and stuff like that, it could be used, but the idea was to also create another kind of community uh, adjacent to these existing sites and moving away, uh, the, changing the site from industry uh, to other things. That's it, thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, thank you, Saha. I, I think we agreed about Frank uh, Gary, but uh, maybe you heard me differently. Of course, we, there were two different stories, but uh, there is, and I don't want to fetishize our differences, um, but <clears throat> it, it is really a problem, uh, a moral problem, and it is obviously the obligation of the RIBA, uh, as architectural critics and others, to um, put up a flag when architects start taking jobs from each other. And without <clears throat> going into it tonight, as a critic who's worked 40 years in Britain, I could burn most of your hair off your heads with stories from all of the greats stealing it from each other. And it's not a nice... We haven't yet. Sorry? We haven't done it yet. You haven't, okay. I, present company accepted. Anyway, I do think, and, and, and if we live in a competitive society, you can see that you couldn't draw up an easy ethics where someone couldn't vie for a job. I remember KPF in America saying, we, we, we can steal jobs away from any architect, including they just left Skidmore and Merrill, and they boasted how they stole Philip Johnson's jobs away. And when they, I was teaching UCLA, they said, we teach the students how to steal jobs. And they had a lesson in stealing jobs, how to go to a client who's just given Philip Johnson a job and steal it away. Anyway, I don't want to get into this, Zaha, but there are many versions well, I mean, of I, that. I, I mean, I think it, you know, the RBA is one thing, but I think it's, um, it's really up to the individual to, uh, I mean, they are not, um, you know, children, they are adults, and they have been, they should have that ethical kind of stand. I don't think it, it, institutions should just be, you know, be policing people's behavior. Um, but, you know, it's, architecture is a very competitive business, and I'm not making excuses for anybody. I just think that's why I do believe in the competition system, because it's a relatively fair way to, let's say, take products from others. I mean, you know, you're competing for that reason. And, and I think that the competitions in this country do not work, um, and I think that's why the RIBA could could play part because um, it is a bit of a monopoly, uh, and and I think also not just is as a way for people like myself, you know, to have a product here. But I mean, I think it's possible. It's important to actually allow a lot of younger people to be able to start winning competitions, so they actually have a begin to have a kind of repertoire. You know, because now you are, you, are, you are asked to fit in a portfolio, but if you have no experience, you can't do it. Um, you know, I think it's very difficult, and I think that, and I think it's a shame, because there's a lot of potential in many of these countries, but uh, in Britain in particular, because the schools are very good, and they do have great architects, and, and, and I think it's, it's a way for them to compete in the world to get work. I mean, I know myself. I didn't have a kind of um, country to public knowledge. I'm not a great schmoozer. Uh, I did not have connections. Um, I didn't have a kind of, I said, I wasn't living in a country where I was, I can get work. I didn't have, um, you know, friends in sort of high places to get me projects. So, you know, the only way I could do it was through competitions, and I'm very grateful for it. And is, uh, let me ask you, that is my count about right that you have 10 completed buildings and something like 65 uh, jobs that you lost one way or another. 
I, I think that's I'm based, uh, do you feel that's about right? That I've never counted. No. It's a depressing idea. Too depressing. Yeah. But the struggle is there. I just counted my luck when I, wanna, when I want something. Yeah, and you had a lot of exhibitions. I mean, you've had maybe 15 exhibitions that have kept you going. I'm not And counting. paintings, what? No, you're crying. Well, I, you know, I think, you know, you have to understand, I mean, you should, you should remember this, because you know, when we, we came out of school, uh, you know, none of us really had work, and the idea of getting work was completely not possible. Uh, and the only way you can actually show your work, or whatever you're working on, is through exhibitions, uh, at the A in particular, or through lectures and or through publications. It wasn't because you, you wanted to kind of just kind of do a kind of promotion. It was the only the only way to do it. And actually, through that process, there was a lot of you know interesting discussions. And I think it, it you know at a very young age put you uh, you know on the line because you had to kind of really that work had to be to get better all mm -hmm. the time. But you did uh, actually do more paintings, as I mentioned, and more drawings, and you actually entered into the world of art in a way that that Rem didn't completely, and that I think almost no. no I think I think Rem sold more paintings than I did. Rem did. Well, ask Rem and Maddie. I don't. I don't think. You know, he's, he's in denial about it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I mean, she, let's she, not. No, she, okay, but no, she, uh, she did Rem, them. And right. I have to say, and she was an inspiration for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I will I say Maddie and Zoe, who I'm not sure is here. Um, you, know, um, you know, my, my um, time at OMA was very short. Uh, and, and, but, you know, we all spent the nights painting. If you look at the possible ways, you know, architects get ahead, painting <clears throat> used to be, or drawing, or visual graphics used to be, part of uh, the armory, but hasn't it been. It wasn't really about painting. It was really about, you know, I mean, in those, those days, we, didn't ha we had no access to three-dimensional kind of computing technology. You know, we, we, you know, now nobody says, you know, somebody's doing, you know, computer renderings because it's, it's part of the practice. Uh, in those days, there was no other possibility. And so idea of actually uh, constructing drawings was a very important thing. But it wasn't really about, it was really about informing the work. It was, for me, a very crucial, important method to inform the work. I mean, without it, uh, I don't think it would have been possible in the same way. Because I started off with looking at the only way of presentation was to do an exonometric. And if you don't want an exonometric at the time, badly inked, you had to mm -hmm. resort to other uh, technique and perspective or many dual perspective, isometric, and therefore distortion came into it because you can distort the field. And I think also by drawing a, a, a drawing which has more than just the building, which was had the entire field, whether it's London or Berlin, it act, actually what it did, it, it sucked in that kind of urban field into the, into the product. So I think it added much more complexity uh, to these buildings. I'm sure you're right there. And uh, Madelon, who is here, uh, was uh, working at the AA also, and Zoe Zengelis and others were painting, and they were selling their paintings occasionally to Max Protesch, who is the one dealer in New York who has made a partial career out of buying architectural paintings, drawings, et cetera, et cetera, models. But as I say, it's not a customary way uh, to get ahead, but it is a way of survival at certain parts in, in careers. Well, I, anyway. I said did not survive on it. It wasn't. I didn't uh, sell them. I mean, they're sitting in my storage. Okay, all right, all right. They're sitting at the Guggenheim. Okay, okay. I own all of them. Okay. Well, not for you. Apart from very few. Okay, good. Well, then we clarified that. Um, it's interesting that her work anticipated uh, by 15 years, the computer, and um, in a way, it looks awfully already computerized by the, at the beginning. And I know you complain sometimes that now, since everyone in your office uses a computer, no one draws anymore. Well, I mean, not just my office, but I think nobody draws full stop. And I, and I think if you look at a hand drawing now, it looks very dated because that language of drawing uh, is 
has not been charged for 10, 15 years, so it has not been kind of really developed. Um, but we, we drew like it was a computer. You know, every ink line had to cross on the corner, I and mean, there was a whole kind of array of, you know, thing which could only be done and others could not be done. It was a very strict regime, drawing regime. And if you think of your drawings and your paintings and your, your visual exploration as a whole, and you think of those 24 <laughs> rhetorical tropes I mentioned that maybe Patrick wrote some of, I don't know. We should come here. Um, but when, we, when I heard you tonight, I thought, you know, the, the, at least at the beginning, you were very much drawing certain rhetorical tropes very strongly, like ground and, and for me, the strongest is landscape. I've said that to you. And surprisingly to me, who work in landscape occasionally, I, I feel that in a way, you're, you're, a lands, you're a hard landscaper and you pull everything together seamlessly as a continuous uh, freeform. And in a sense, there's a kind of metaphysical search in your work for a super material which doesn't yet exist, maybe. Uh, I mean, you could say concrete, but reinforce concrete. But what about no, no. Corian? Go on. It, it exists. And it is? Well, I mean, it could be concrete, it could be concrete. No, I think it's not, the issue is, for example, in Wolfsburg, we use milling technology to mill the the, the formwork for all the curves of the cones, uh, not the exterior. I think it, it could be done through concrete. I think eventually we're now using the project for in Innsbruck, uh, which is kind of also vacuum forming glass or kind of hmm. to clad, uh, which also is kind of a complex geometry. Uh, Corian, I'm sure eventually you can use it for exterior, LG Hymax, uh, or any of the plastics, they're all doing it now. Uh, for you can do, definitely do a seamless interior, uh, you know, or or some sort of gypsum stuff, but I'm sure eventually you can do it on the exterior. I, mean, I think that it's not, and I think at this period of the the idea of do, I mean the connection between computer three modeling and manufacturing and fabrication is a very interesting uh, situation. Right. Um, questions from the floor or comments. We have a few minutes, yeah. Uh, here comes a mic. I think Mike's coming down from the side, yeah. I find your work incredible. I mean, it is amazing. Um, but I want to go back to something you said at a lecture at the Bartlett about five years ago, um, which, uh, <laughs> which I found just astonishing. You said um, that you hate nature. I still do. And, um, I mean, you have to know, when I started architecture, the, nobody knew how to do anything. Anyway, there was a kind of, we started the A, which was anti-drawing, anti-design. And when they found drawing, if you look at 70s drawings, they'll be shrubbed out of existence. I mean, there'd be shrubs and plants and trees everywhere because they couldn't do an elevation, so they put a tree. So <laughs> they couldn't do a plan organization. You should look at them. I mean, they're very nice. There'll be a rubber plant or a shrub. So shrubbery. I mean, Avi used to always say to me that I had two lacks in my education, anti-nature and I don't drink wine. And he thought that I was badly educated. Uh, and I was in a non-school, so that could explain everything. Uh, but there, but, is, there but, is a more serious issue, though, isn't it? I mean, we're no, facing I mean, so what I mean about I don't like nature. I mean, I don't yeah. like shrubbery. But I do like landscape, and they are very different. But the, what I'm curious about is the issue of sustainability. I mean, there seems to be in your work a denial of any environmental factors. It's not something you mention in the lecture at all. Um, well, I don't mention it because I think it's, it's a matter of fact. Uh, sure, you know, that but it's it, for example, Landis Show, it is, a, you know, if you think about a building which, I mean, maybe not the towers, but Dusseldorf was always about natural ventilation, light coming from all sources, no deep plan. This is sustainability. It's not about using a friendly material only, or you know, simplistic ideas like that. It's about really thinking conceptually, and maybe you're not really very good at it, but the idea, and even in Cardiff, that you have office space, which is, which is kind of well lit and naturally ventilated, and that the courtyard provides you. So I think there should be more 
uh, study on sensitivity about the diagram and organization, and not only about, you know, whether one should glass or should make stone, stone, or we should only build a world of, 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 of kind of solid exteriors with small windows. I think it should be more about organization and, and particularly plan organization. And I think, it, uh, I, I think it's very important. One has to look at it. But I'm curious about concrete. I mean, you seem, uh, you're interested in plastic materials, which kind of go beyond the forces of gravity. This is uh, something you're always trying to stretch. Um, the problem with those materials is they're the most energy intensive materials that we use. Uh, that doesn't seem to concern you. Listen, I come from Iraq, and I'm sure the bombardment of Iraq is also a very energy consuming thing. So I have to weigh myself, no doubt. And I'm sorry to say it, I don't want to make it political. I think if we're going to talk about these things and, and saving resources, we have to think about the entire picture and not about one single building, which is in concrete. Right. Okay. Other questions or statements? Yeah, right here, in the middle. Just a minute, the mic is coming. This might sound like a dull question, but I'm curious about when you decided to um, get into entering competitions and how you sort of went about choosing them and deciding which ones were worth entering. Well, I mean, at the beginning, we, we didn't have too many choice. I mean, whoever invited us to a competition, we would go for it. I would obviously sometimes think which I find problematic ethically, like, you know, uh, some in a building in a strange place or a prison or something I won't touch. Uh, I do have a problem building in particular areas of the globe, but I think we had no, at the time we had not much chances. I mean, the first commission which I did was the, was, um, was the Dutch House of Parliament in The Hague with Roman Elia, and then the next one was the Irish House, uh, the Prime Minister's House. and, and um, and in those days, there were open competitions like the peak, but I think this idea of the open competition is becoming less and less possible, and it's mostly invited competitions, and we are lucky that we can actually apply for them. And, and so we don't hear about all of them, but I mean, I have a particular interest in civic buildings uh, because I, I really do think that um, uh, whether it's kind of cultural projects, that society needs these kind of... Um, variety of you know, cultural events and projects where everybody can go to. You know, it's very nice to build a private house, but not everybody can go to it, or, it's very, or a hospital, which I also I think is another different kind of program. So I think that we, we do look out for public projects. Uh, I, I think there are not many projects which are housing, which one, one should, there should be. And that's another thing which the RIBA should really be involved with, it's housing in this, in this country, which is a a major problem, but I think that, you know, um, as I said, now actually we have maybe too much work on and we, we could begin to uh, be much more choosy about what we do. Way in the back. Sorry. Uh, hello. Thank you for a very interesting lecture. Um, I'd just like to ask, I've seen uh, an article in the press about uh, your work in the Turks and Caicos on Delis Key, and whereby you're working for a developer. Um, are you able to talk about that and your feelings for working uh, for a developer, i.e. he trading on your brand? I mean, I have nothing against working for a developer. I wish a developer would remind me to do something here, actually. I have nothing against it. Uh, I mean, we, we, were, we asked to do the master plan, but I have to be honest, once I heard that they have kind of colonial housing on the site, I'm very wary of doing this project. Uh, it's a very nice client, uh, but the idea of kind of have some weird stuff there uh, does not appeal to me. Uh, so, I mean, it's not my, you know, I would do the master plan, we're doing the hotel, uh, the, the uh, not hotel, the um, kind of marina or whatever. Uh, so, if, if, if actually, the idea that the whole uh, iron should be have a particular kind of really language, not just by us, many other architects are involved, 
uh, doing housing and stuff like that. But uh, I think the idea of putting a colonial kind of replica houses, I'm rather worried about. Yep. So I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Uh, down here, Abe, hey, him. Well, can we have the mic? Oh, okay. yeah, was okay. Uh, good evening. There were a conference last year in Paris with you and Jean Nouvel uh, in Ansetu de Mondara. And he said there that he never creates new spaces, he just evaluates what already exists there. And is this your kind of approach? Or because I realize that you are extremely interesting about connection things and, and like the idea of the whole. We, we couldn't, uh, I'm sorry, we couldn't hear that. Um, if you could say it very say slowly it again, and simply. Is it, is, is it, can you hear me? Or? Yeah. Can, yeah. Uh, sorry, so once again. There were a conference with Jean Nouvel and you last year in Paris. And uh, there he said, like, uh, he's not interested in creating, creating new spaces. He always just evaluates what already exists there. Is this also your kind of approach or not? You can't create new spaces? I don't know what the question. Like he's you, not he's not creating never something new. Like everything what he's doing is just reconstruction of what already exists. Is this clear? No, no I, 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 if I understand you saying, do I think that one can create new spaces or not? Is that the question? I, I think you can. Um, I, I really do think, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I can only say it from my personal experience. Uh, I mean, 25, 30 years ago, I, I didn't, I mean, I knew that I wanted to do something uh, for me. I, I was a student of Leo Creer in my third year. And Leo at the time was not uh, very dogmatic about uh, being classicist. Uh, but I think that slowly he became one. And, and at the time, there was a, made a comment, I could be wrong, that there is no progress anymore. There, there could not be any progress. Beyond the, uh, the Parthenon, there could not be, or, or there, you know, there can't be a progress. And I read, I mean, uh, that was really struck me as um, not, one could not kind of give up as a student at the time that, you know, we just do what, as a repertoire, what existed. And I think that uh, challenging for me, existing typology um, was a very interesting uh, journey because it did prove that I, well, it may be, it may be right or wrong, but it proved to me that actually one through that exploration can rediscover a different kind of space, and, and I did. So I don't think it's only what exists now. Okay. We have a microphone down here, please. It's in the second row. Second row. Um, hello, uh, fascinating lecture, and I think you've created a new kind of geology, actually, a sort of elasticated geology. Uh, uh, my question actually is um, a bit mundane. It's related to the ideas of inclusive design, you know, the Disability Discrimination Act and all that. And uh, your buildings, you know, obviously have the ideas of ramps and movements and lines, and um, how what sort of consideration is given to the idea of access, inclusive design, uh, the movement of uh, dis you know, people with disabilities around the building, things of color, uh, contrast, and that sort of thing. I mean, is that part of you know, well, the, I mean, the whole creative process? Um, since we believe in kind of the slope uh, or the incline, in a gentle way, I mean, it, it makes it, I mean, I think in many of these cases very, um, actually it's very kind of children friendly. And, and, uh, and also in terms of kind of really people who have disability, um, I think walking through a landscape is, is not uh, prohibitive. Um, so I think it, it also kind of adds to, I mean, the whole idea was that you, uh, you open a, a space which for people who don't have the, um, always the luxury of travel and seeing different worlds, to open their view to that space and enjoy it in an interesting way and move through it is a very interesting experience. 
Uh, for example, the, the, uh, I was always, always very touched when I was in Strasbourg how smooth it is to move of people with, with kind of uh, handicap access to the, uh, to the main uh, tram. Uh, the same in all these projects, you know, where there are always ex close enough elevators and uh, very smooth, shallow ramps. And, you know, I mean, it's not always perfect, but it's a way to ease that uh, uh, accessibility to the public. And I think the whole idea of kind of the proxy of the ground, and I really believe that it is you created spaces which are of the public domain, that anybody of any cultural or background or age can actually access them. For example, you take this ski jump, um, I think because you know, people of all ages go to it, but particularly elderly people like it because they can see these views across and the Alps and, you know, so I think it, it, is, it is a way of making it possible. Uh, or, and I think that's why in terms of, you know, city organization, that if you deal with a with a with a with a block with a block as a kind of really fortified block, uh, you cannot enter beyond the boundary of the edge. And I think if you open it up, and I, I really do think that organization is critical to these discourses. That makes it much more uh, easy to penetrate the mass and walk into or use the the heart and, and the interior of the building. Last question here, awesome. Antoine Raffoul, APJP. I loved your quality of light in all your buildings. It's amazing. Over 100 years ago, Corbusier went to the East, and, and that changed his life because he learned so much about light and plasticity. You come from the East, from one of the most beautiful countries being destroyed now, but I know it will come back thanks to you. How much that background had an influence on the quality of light that you produce? Um, well, I mean, I mean I, I'm always hit uh, by the stunning light whenever I go to the Mediterranean, which I don't tend to go to often, uh, I'm, I'm afraid. But it's always hit me that you know the light is really stunning, and I'm always commenting on it. And there's very different lights. I mean, I was in St. Petersburg two years ago, and the light there was amazing. Uh, but I came from a, a, a background and uh, brought up in the 60s in Iraq, which, which uh, had a, you know, my father was a well-known politician. And, um, and I think I came from a back, I mean, as I said, I went to a, a nun school where none of us knew which religion we were till I was six. I mean, I used to cross my heart when I used to go home and I noticed my parents were not doing the same. So there was no difference between uh, all the girls in this uh, nun school, this convent. But also, we, there was a period in Iraqi history which believed in, in, in modernity and progress and a new entity, and, 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 and also embracing kind of really suitable ideas of, to the East, which had to do with modernization and progress. And that was a very, I think, uh, important part of my, uh, my upbringing and making it possible to, to actually um, afford others who can't uh, those things which those who are privileged can afford. And I came from that background. I mean, I remember there was a guy who used to work with us who had always, their family had always lived in the South, and they moved to Baghdad, and they used to live in kind of huts, and after 58, it was possible to, uh, to actually m make enormous amount of social housing. The same with schools and education. And I think the center to all these things is to do with education, and I think it is not only the formal part of the East, which I bring with me, but I think that it's also that moment in history where I was in Iraq where everybody believed in, in the, and also in other parts of the Arab world and, and, and uh, believed in this incredible future journey which we were to take. I mean, I've, of course, I was a kid, maybe didn't understand everything totally, but I was very aware of the shift in politics in these areas and how it could have affected, in a positive way, the way we live. All right, one more, last one there. Hello. Um, when will there be an exhibition of your work like in the Guggenheim in London? 
possibly maybe any gallery people um here? well there are possibly an exhibition uh next year but in two or seven um i don't know for sure yet but i think there will be one definitely in the design museum I'm not sure they've announced it yet um and maybe other venues i have no idea but um anyway it's announced tonight zaha <laughs> uh i made a mistake you're not just La Zaha, a noun, but you're also a verb. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.